Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. You know, and uh, hopefully your cows aren't getting mad at me. Um, no, cows are good. I just tried to get a good video of my heifers going out to pasture for the first time and they did not cooperate Uh-oh. And, then, <laughs> and then ran back in. Zach, are you familiar with uh, Derek's stuff? He's, uh, he's on Twitter and Instagram and he's, he's, uh, he's up there and I don't know where you're at. I know you're, you work, you work with Tillamook. Tillamook. Yeah, well, I, I'm in Tillamook. So. Oh, Tillamook. Where is Tillamook? Uh, Oregon, uh, right on the coast. If you drive from Portland directly to the coast. Okay. Us. I didn't know it was, an, I didn't even know it was a physical place. I just thought it was the name, the name of a lot of cheese. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember when I, when I moved to California from Wisconsin, that was one of the things I noticed was a lot of the cheese was, was Telemuk, which I wasn't the case in Wisconsin that I remember anyway, but I no, think it Wisconsin kind of maybe seems, seems to think that they're the Mecca of uh, dairy yeah. products. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I always thought, I thought Wisconsin was a cheese state, but uh Interesting. Well, Derek, I'll tell you what, thank you for coming on. Um, would you do us a favor and just kind of introduce yourself and let people know a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Derek Josie. I am a fourth generation dairy farmer in Tillamook, Oregon. Uh, married with three children and we milk Jersey cows, which are the premier Jersey breed. Don't let Holstein breeders tell you any different. Does that work? That works. All right. So uh, one of the things, you know, I kind of, I think I was was on Twitter and I remember this guy, Derek talks to the cows or something. I think that's your Twitter handle. This is, this is pretty cool. And then I kind of ran into you on Instagram, started following you and following your stuff. And um, you know, there are a lot of farmers and ranchers and people that produce our food that just do their job quietly. And Mm -hmm. no one thinks about them other than, some people that think they're mean, evil people. And I, I just, you know, it just drives me crazy. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, more and more are out there saying, hey, look, this is what we do. This is reality. This is, you know, from the horse's mouth, so to speak, because we get a lot of secondhand information and thirdhand right. information. And a lot of it's distorted. And it's, you know, and it's across all aspects of agriculture. And I'm sure that you can find some people that are farming that will tell you, you know, not just doing animal agriculture, but plant agriculture will tell you that we're, our conceptions are very different. Oh, absolutely. We have a lot of misconceptions about what's what's going on. But so I like the fact that you're just very in your face and you're like, this is what it is. And this is why we do these things. And, you know, um, it's it's very enlightening. And, you know, because well, many of us live in the cities and I, I live in Southern California and, you know, I, I, I'm just as good. I mean, I've, I've been to ranches and I've been on ranches because at least I've done that. But tell us, um, I mean, does, does this does this perception that, that, that farmers and ranchers are in there mistreating animals and, um, you know, just doing it just so they can make a profit, uh, does that at all bother you? Oh, yeah, that's, that's why I started what I do. Hi, Reagan. Um, that's my daughter. 
I guess I assume so. Yeah, we got a surprise guest. She's, she's a little yeah. cutie. She is. And I, I'll tell you one thing before we get started. You, if you have children, you know they make these little mesh things you're supposed to put fruit in for yeah, them to yeah, chew yeah. on. Oh, she didn't like that. But if you threw a piece of bacon, oh, she would just <laughs> all day. Anyway, yeah, that's actually why I started what I do um, is because I, I think that, like you said, most of us in agriculture just want to produce the foods that people want to eat. We just want to live our lives. And uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, there's a lot of propaganda out there vilifying us. And somebody had to start uh, punching back is what I like to call it. Because um, a lot, there's a lot of people that were already doing what I do online, but they were um, just, you know, probably not as in their face as I am. Uh, I'm not afraid to talk about the fact that, yeah, cows, cows go to slaughter. That's where meat comes from. You know, I don't tiptoe around those types of subjects and somebody, I think more and more people are doing what I'm doing and I'm, I'm glad. And it's in all aspects of agriculture. Um, the days of where people think that agriculture should all be done the same, hopefully are coming to an end because the way I farm up here where I get 90 to 120 inches of rain a year is completely different than how somebody in Southern California would farm. And so anybody that tells you their way of doing growing food or raising animals is the only way um, is just trying to sell you something. Yeah, I mean, Zach is Zach. If I'm not correct me if I'm saying, I think you've got some experience with dairy yourself personally. I think you or something. I know you've talked about that before, um, but I, you know, there is again, like you said, there's a lot of different ways, and some of the criticisms, you know, with the dairy industry, uh, you know, this push for vertical integration, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and some of that is maybe problematic. Some of it's not. What is your particular? Uh, dairy operation look like how many head how many you know I mean what's a, what's what are we what are we looking at so uh, we'd probably be what you would call a medium size uh, dairy farm we're milking 500 cows but grand total we have almost a thousand animals because we have all our young stock um, and when you talk about vertical integration uh, I am a member owner of the Tillamook co-op uh, so all the Tillamook products you see in the store uh, come from farms like myself who actually own that business. So vertical integration can be a good thing because it can give farmers a better voice in the marketplace if it's done right, you know? So vertical integration isn't really the, it isn't really scary to me. Um, Men, like I said, I milk Jersey cows. Uh, Those are the brown cows and though they don't make chocolate milk, but they do make the richest milk. It's got the most butter fat and most protein, um, which means that for every pound of milk, you can make more cheese. And one of the things, uh, this is a thing, because we, we've just seen, you know, probably if you pay attention, I know you've commented on this, is like protesters let dairy die. We see that milk consumption has, you know, drinking milk consumption has gone down significantly in the last 30, 40 years to the tune of about, Oh, I don't know, 30 to 40 percent um, with the rise of these quote unquote plant juices or something. Mm. Yeah, you know, they like to say it's because of the plant juices, but bottled water yeah. probably had a bigger impact than anything. And then all, you know, Pepsi, Coke, all these sugary drinks have done 
more. And I actually will fault the dairy industry a little bit because we did not uh, move with the times. You know, most people aren't out buying a gallon of milk. They want something, a single serving drink that they can take with them. And thankfully, more and more of that's showing up. And then we there's new products on the market that are higher in protein and lower in fat, even though fat's not bad for you. So, um, but there's a lot of new fluid milk products coming out that uh, if you look, the trend is actually leveled off and these newer products are actually outperforming plant-based products uh, that are comparable in the market. Yeah, the other side of that is that overall dairy, in my understanding, has actually gone up through things like cheese yogurts oh, and yeah. some of these other products. So dairy yeah. is actually, but but there have been some major dairies that have closed recently. I know one of the one of the, I don't remember the name of it, but there's been some big ones that have shut down. But at the same time, dairy consumption overall seems to be going up, even though milk consumption had tailed off. Yeah, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of people point to the fact that dairies are closing and. While some of it is not voluntary, a lot of it is. For example, our farm, when my great-grandpa started, it was 60 cows and 60 acres. Uh, as our neighbors wanted to retire and they didn't have children coming home, because believe it or not, not everybody wants to be a farmer, uh, they retired, we bought their properties, um, and we expanded. So you got a lot of that going on, and then uh, you don't – it takes – a quarter of the cows that it did in 1940 to produce the same amount of milk because we have bred for milk and we have a highly efficient animal now. So it, it takes less farms to produce the milk that we need. So you're going to have some of that going on. And then there is some, we did just come out of a really low milk, uh, depressed milk price. Um, and a lot of that actually had to do with things going on overseas, like, uh, the European Union took off the quota, which meant their dairy farmers could start producing as much as they want at the same time that Russia invaded Crimea. And so the EU and the United States put a trade embargo in place so that, and dairy dairy products were one of those things that were embargoed. So then all of a sudden Europe, who used to ship a lot of dairy to Russia, had to find a new market. So they started, you know, coming our way and going over into Asia. So it's just a cascade event that, you know, four years of low milk prices will take a toll. Now, thankfully, they, we seem to have worked through all the excess product. And so milk prices have stabilized at a pretty decent price. So should be a lot of happy farmers now. Yeah, Derek, if you could just talk a bit about that in general, that sort of setup, because I think when, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, and this is kind of along with what Sean was saying, where, um, you know, in recent years, we've started to kind of have a backlash against our food systems, a backlash against our food producers, our, our farmers, both agricultural and animal, probably a little more animal than anything in the last couple of years. It, you get these like kind of negative stereotypes of, of farmers being like kind of like, you know, just not aware of what's going on and they're just out there like, you know, doing their thing. But what you described is a pretty complex situation. I mean, most people see something like that happen where Russia goes into Chimera and they're like, 
you know, okay, that's probably a big world story, but its effect on me is very minor, at least that they're going to notice. But for someone like yourself, like, you know, that could mean uh, years and years of adjustments, potentially going out of business, you know, potentially Mm -hmm. you're looking into different careers and things like that. Like how often and like uh, how concerned is that for like the average farmer just having to pay attention to like world affairs and trade embargoes and things like that, that are going to greatly impact kind of how their business runs? Uh, Well, for dairy in general, it's pretty important because uh, the United States produces enough milk that actually one out of every seven days is exported, whether it be cheese, uh, non-fat, dry milk, whey, powder, those types of things. It's we make enough milk that we uh, export and Mexico happens to be one of our biggest export markets. And so when they were redoing the free trade agreement, that was uh, also going on during these low milk price times. So that was another trigger point that was going on. Um, So yeah, and that goes for all types of farms. I mean, China is a major soy importer for the US and we export a lot of corn. We are a food export nation. Um, so international trade is huge for farmers. And I don't know of many farmers that don't pay attention to what's going on. There, there are, like I said, a whole bunch of misconceptions around dairy. I mean, can you, let's just start picking through some of them. So, yeah. so you guys are out there quote-unquote, raping cows against their will. Uh, can you describe what's going on, why we artificially inseminate cows? I mean, I mean, what, what is uh, – yeah. describe that process. So Sorry. artificial insemination is actually safer for both the cow and for humans. Um, it takes me all of 30 seconds to artificially inseminate a cow, um, whereas a bull would be mounting her for probably about 12 hours off and on. Um, and if you've ever watched a live cover, you know that it is not easy on the cow or the bull. Um, it actually has made sexually transmission transmitted diseases in yeah, dairy cattle pretty much non-existent. Um, and we no longer have to have a bull on property because there is semen companies that buy bulls with high genetics and they will harvest the semen and they will ship it out to you. And so we can have, we probably have 15 or 20 of the highest ranking bulls in the country in our uh, semen tank at any given moment. So it's really made it so you could have the best genetics in the world at your fingertip at any time. And there's a lot less transportation of cattle. I mean, when they when they say artificial insemination is rape or any of that stuff, it just shows a disconnect from the animal kingdom because the only species in the world that has consent when it comes to breeding is humans. Everything else is just natural. Yeah, so you're so you're not the cows aren't signing a consent form when they <laughs> I actually <laughs> I, I took a piece of paper and I typed out a consent form and I actually had a cow put her hoof print on it. And I, I posted that. Get a few comments on that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I may have known that that was going to be a um, one that got a lot of, a lot of angry people on it, but I, you know, sometimes I 
like to make them mad. Yeah, that's fine. And, and but I mean, you know, we talk about these bullying injuries. I mean, there I've read some of the stats, and you know, there there are a number of cows that get killed by that. Yeah. Actually, that that that, that does occur. Yeah, they, I mean, the cow can break a hip. They can break a leg. Um, having a two thousand pound animal riding the other animal is not safe. It's just not. But I mean, and since we're talking about breeding, the, the next topic would obviously be what we do when the calf is born. Uh, we separate the cow and the calf. Um, and a, pe- a lot of people seem to think that cows cry for days. I've done videos on this where I grab the calf and I walk away and the cows walk to the feed bunk and start eating. Um, I like to think of dairy cows as the working mothers of the uh, cattle industry and beef cattle are the stay at home moms who take care of the dairy cows. They don't, they watch you take the calf and away it goes. Yeah. And, and the reason for that, rather than directly feeding the calves, I understand is it's, it's actually, it's actually healthier for the calf because they can get the right amount of colostrum. They, they absolutely, absolutely. Less transmission of um, disease. And with dairy cows, they produce so much milk and uh, people don't seem to understand this. A calf if she drinks too much milk to start with, um, their rumen and their their uh, digestive system is not completely formed when they're born. They actually have more of a stomach like we do. Um, so if they drink too much milk, it flows out into the rumen, which isn't fully formed yet, and it will actually sit in there and rot. So if you were allowing a calf to nurse on a dairy cow, the chances of them drinking too much are significantly higher than with a beef breed that's not designed to produce a lot of milk. Um, And I was reading statistics um, in the wild, deer populations, 50% of all fawns die before a year of age. And my, knock on wood, my um, calf mortality rate is less than 1%. I mean, we have it down to a science we know to get colostrum in them right away. We test the colostrum to make sure it's high quality. Um, We know how much they need to be eating. We can keep track of how much they're eating. So if they don't eat, we know right away, which means we can take care of them as soon as they're getting sick and not a day or two later when they've already lost 10, 15 pounds because they haven't been eating. So yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to say this, but dairy calves have a great, a great nanny that takes care of them. And that would be the calf feeders. Yeah. I, uh, and, and I've published those studies on, on the wild ruminants, you know, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's white-tailed deer and there's some studies out of Pennsylvania and I've, I've quoted those and, you know, they, there's, these animals are, you know, they're dying of being eaten to death by coyotes and bears. Oh yeah. And so forth. And so, um, what about, uh, cause people talk about, you know, these cows are walking around with swollen udders. They've got mastitis commonly, how often is that occurring? And, and what do you, I mean, or how, I know they have some automatic milking things that these cows can milk whenever they want. I know those things are available. How do you, how do you manage that or prevent those type of things from happening? Uh, so we milk 500 cows. And right now, if I went, I think if I went and looked at our board, we'd probably maybe have one cow that has mastitis. So, and any woman that has breastfed knows that you can get mastitis it, it, it is going to happen. Um, cows get treated. Um, we are paid on milk quality 
from our creamery and that's the same for every, uh, the better the quality, the higher your premium. So it does not pay to have cows get mastitis. You want to, you want to keep them clean and healthy. And so no cows aren't walking around with mastitis. And if they do get mastitis, uh, they get treated, their milk is separated and discarded. Um, and same with, if we use antibiotics, uh, the milk has to test free of antibiotics before it ever gets put back in for human consumption. So yeah, that's, they like to say that somatic cell count means pus and you're a doctor, you know, that somatic cells is not pus. It's, uh, it can be an indicator of an infection if they get high. But, um, for example, when you're making cheese, the lower the somatic cell count, the better. So, um, it, more money in my pocket if they aren't getting mastitis. This episode of the HPO podcast is brought to you by Energy CBD. Energy CBD specializes in formulating top-of-the-line THC-free CBD products. Their goal is to give customers transparent products and information in hopes to encourage a healthier and happier way of living. When used correctly, CBD has been shown to treat ailments including anxiety and depression, minimize physical pain and inflammation, and improve restorative sleep. Energy CBD specializes in oral tinctures and topical oil roll-ons using only pure CBD isolate. Tinctures are the most popular way of consuming CBD with just a couple of drops for full body relaxation. Their topical oil roll-ons are great for targeted relief. All handmade in the USA, thoroughly tested and approved by independent laboratories. This process ensures that no shortcuts are taken to achieve the highest quality THC-free CBD products. So visit energycbd.store, that's capital letters N-R-G-C-B-D.store, and for an extra 20% off your entire order, throw in the discount code capital E, capital Z, number two, number zero at the checkout. Check on Instagram at energy.cbd and on Facebook at energycbd. Links to all these can be found in the show notes. Now, back to the show. What about, um, what else is there? You know, the, the use of stanchions. I know you had a video on that. You want to explain what a stanchion is, why you use it. I mean, because you see these cows and they look like their necks in a, they're trapped in there and they're, they're, it's, it's looks, you know, it looks sort of more, yeah. Yeah. So stanchions, um, anybody that's seen my video, most of the time they are in the unlocked position. So a cow can put their head through, eat, and then leave at any time. But if I need to treat a cow, like give her medicine or give her pills, um, I can put it in the lock and they're so used to it that if they try and pull back, it, it doesn't allow them to pull their head out. So then they just stand there and I take care of them. And then I unlock them. They're not stuck in there for hours at a time. Um, it's it's about uh, cow comfort and cow safety. Um, I'm working with a thousand to fifteen hundred pound cows, and I'm a big guy. But if they uh, decided they didn't want to allow me to do things, uh, they could definitely stop me from doing it. And stanchions make it safer for both of us. Yeah, so the cows aren't experiencing any pain or discomfort by sticking their heads, like nope. sticking their head through a grate, and they just they got plenty of room from what I mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Um, 
what else? Um, so male cows. I mean, we hear about this all the time. You know, dairy dairy cow gives birth to a male cow, and then it's immediately turned into a bobby calf and turned. I guess they call it bobby calf reveal. But what, yeah, what is, what is a true fate? And and um, so male cow. Every farm's different, um, but our farm we have a contract with a uh, beef feedlot and beef calf grower. Uh, so we actually breed over half of our dairy cows to beef and they buy all those calves and they get them ra- They raise them as beef steers or beef heifers. If it happens to be a heifer. And then the top half of our herd, or it's more like top third, um, is bred to sex semen. So we are nine times out of 10 getting a heifer and the one out of 10 times that it's a bull, he is also raised as steers. Um, and, you know, they try and vilify, vilify veal. Um, it's actually four to 500 pound animals. It's not a baby. It's, they're still being raised. So it's just, you know, it's, it's easier to vilify if they're saying that we're killing day old calves and that's, not happening um and more and more i the majority of dairy farmers are actually doing the beef crosses now because uh it's a much better program than having a bunch of dairy calf bulls that there's not that much use for so yeah it's interesting that you guys are able to sex you know you sex a semen so that you have a yield rate and i I know understand that's something like even with chickens they've got it's temperature dependent and that there's some evidence that they can make and, you know, control what sex mm-hmm. comes out. So you, you end up getting what you want, and what you can use. So, yeah, well, we actually sex the semen. I, and I don't know the details, but it's, they are able to uh, single out the Y chromosome or something. It's probably it's, a weight based thing that they figure out. Yeah. I, I think you're actually right. Um, but it's definitely revolutionized the industry and actually for a while, you know, dairy farmers are just like anybody else. Oh, sex semen. You mean we can have nothing but heifers. So everybody started using them. And then all of a sudden we had way too many cat dairy cows. So that's when people thought to use uh, beef semen for the lower end, which just means that the better genetics are staying in the herd and the lower end are being weeded out. Yeah, I was going to ask about that with the, the 9 to 10 figure. Was that more or less by design because the market had a demand for that that single one of 10 that come out to go to beef cattle and they left it at that? Or is that just where the technology's at now? Or? That's, that's where the technology's at now. Um, and uh, if you had a contract with a bull stud to get bulls, you would probably just breed to conventional semen and then see what you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I suppose it depends on where you're at to a degree. Like if you have the option to, to sell off to a beef cattle place, if you're not doing that yourself, then you maybe are less likely to, right. to try to get as many dairy cattle as you can. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your day. I, I see you up there at three o'clock in the morning. So tell, what's a, What's a typical day like look like for Derek Josie uh, yeah. with, with <laughs> your normal operations? Well, typical day right now, I don't have one because I decided to get a puppy. So I'm up all hours of the night too. But uh, typical, I'm at work at 3 a.m. First person I see is my old man. 
he's still out at 3 a.m. with me every morning. Um, we push the first group of cows to get milked. Uh, and then I go to start mixing feed and feeding cows. And that takes uh, about four hours to get everything fed. Um, during that time, I do break away to help with uh, fresh cows, which are cows that have just had a baby or and our hospital pen. Anybody that needs treated or, you know, things like that. Uh, I'm usually back in the house by nine on a good day. And on a good day, I'm back in the house by eight. Uh, I get to spend a couple hours with my wife and our almost two-year-old Reagan. Um, and then I try and get about an hour and a half nap in. And then I go back to work about one or two in the afternoon, depending on what's going on. Uh, feed cows again, deal with hospital and fresh cows and any odds and ends things we have to do. Um, this time of year, uh, we're starting to get, hopefully get cows back out on pasture. So I'm out putting fences back in and hopefully if we get a couple weeks of nice weather, we'll actually work on getting a crop put in. So kind of busy, uh, average day is somewhere between 10 to 12 hours. Yeah. What is a, so from, let's, let me take it through the life cycle of a cow, like a dairy cow. So you have one, you know, this calf, they start out, where, where do they go? How do they start out? How, where, what's their schedule like until they get into the main dairy? Sort so of when a calf is bored, it goes, she goes into our calf barn. Uh, she's on milk until she's two months of age and she stays in the calf barn uh for about two months after that, uh, so that we know she's transitioned from drinking milk to eating solid foods and is made that tradition, tra tradition transition and is healthy. And then they go into group housing, um, which we start with a small group of 14 to 15 calves together so that they can get acclimated to being in a group pen. And then they go into a little bigger pen. Um, at a year of age, they are ready to be bred for the first time. Um, and hopefully they get pregnant and then they go out to pasture. If it's summertime, um, if it's in the winter, they're still in a group housing situation in barns. And by two years of age, she will hopefully have her first calf and become a productive member of the society of dairy cows. And then what's a, what's a typical like dur life's life duration of a dairy cow? Is it like six, eight, 10 years? Uh, like it's, it's some like six years, but every cow is different. I mean, I've got several cows that are probably going to be there in the herd for 14, 15 years. Uh, a couple of favorites of mine that are probably never going to leave the farm because <laughs> you know, some of them just are special. Um, but then you have some that it's two or three years because they calve in and they are not making any milk and they, you know, if they're not paying their bills, they're going to have to uh, go on to their next job, which is to be hamburger or which actually is true because most of the hamburger in this country is from dairy cows because it's a leaner meat so they don't have to pull a lot of fat off of it 
what is in, in you know the so if a, so if a cow finishes its dairy cycle and is no longer productive or can't or isn't particularly productive it goes to a beef you know it goes to be raised as beef how long are they usually there before they're no it, when they're done with their dairy cycle they go straight to slaughter okay. um, all right i mean for like we and i know a lot of dairy farmers actually have um they feed them to get a little weight on them uh, so that there's a little extra fat on them before we ship them because it makes for a better flavored meat. And uh, we actually raise our own beef here too. Uh, it's pasture for most of the time. So it's a leaner, but if you've never had Jersey uh, steer meat, it's some of the most flavorful meat you'll ever, you'll ever get the chance to have. Uh, they're actually distantly related to Wagyu beef. So, Derek, is that six to eight year kind of timeline average for the dairy cow unique to your operation? No, industrial is average or the industry average is five to six years, I believe. And, and with more people uh, breeding the lower end to beef, I actually think that that will increase because you won't have the pressure of the younger cows coming in and because for example, our facilities, we can't, we can't continue to expand our herd and milk more cows because we only have enough room for the 500 cows. Mm -hmm. So by breeding a lot of it to beef, we don't have the pressure from younger cows. So we don't have to send older cows to slaughter to make room. So, so you'll actually probably see the age of your average age of a dairy cow start to climb which is which is a good thing yeah because i think a lot of times when people look at just animal agriculture in general the kind of counter argument i suppose from an ethical standpoint is always like okay yeah, maybe you gave them a great life but it was a fraction of their their <laughs> what their longevity would be like in nature and then, you know, the, the the easy kind of come back to that is like you know, what is the, the likelihood that a calf makes it to adult or even to year one in the wild? I think it's like I 50%. Wrong, 50%. That's what yeah. I thought. And it's like, so you're really kind of getting into some kind of weedy territory, I guess, when you start going back and forth on that type of stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's a great, they, they do love to use that though. Oh, a cow can live to be 20 years old. Yeah. Show me in the wild, a herbivore of a cow's size, like an elk, that is living to their max life, ex, you know, expectancy. That's like saying a human, if they die at 55, well, they could have lived to be 90. Well, mm -hmm. they didn't, you know, yeah. it's, there's this theory that a cow's natural life is somehow different. If they're in the wild, cows are domestic animals. Their natural lifespan is what they get with us. There's no difference between natural lifespan and the lifespan of a cow in, uh, in a dairy or a beef herd. That yeah. is their natural life. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because there's just always like with these type of topics, there's always unforeseen consequences or things that like, you know, that you don't think of until like, like, like if this was actually put into place type of a scenario. Because I remember mm -hmm. when I was living in Wisconsin, you know, the big question, uh, not, not with with cattle, but with uh, the white-tailed deer population was like, you know, the, the, the hunters were there for a very, very distinct reason. It was to keep that deer population in range 
so that they didn't like, you know, find, I mean, it was, it was good for them as well because you let that, that population get out of control and they're getting hit by cars. There's no real, I mean, the wolf population is kind of coming back now, but back when, when I was in Wisconsin, it was hardly around. And like, you know, the, the fate of a white-tailed deer with no natural predator is, is starvation, which was yeah. oftentimes loss of teeth and then starving for a couple of weeks before they die. You know, so you get, you get into these weird kind of like, I guess what you would call like animal moral well or animal moral like gray areas. And it's right. like, it ends up being kind of a, uh, an endless back and forth more or less. Yeah. I mean, when you take the natural system and humans are the top of the natural system, if you all of a sudden decide you're not going to continue to do what you've been doing for hundreds of years, which is keeping populations of wild animals in check by hunting them. The end result is a lot of prey animals that used to have a predator humans not doing their job. And the prey animal ends up worse off for that because they multiply, they starve, they die. I mean, I can tell you I which way I'd prefer to go and I would much rather prefer to uh, be ethically slaughtered than to die of starvation if I was one of my cows. Yeah. And I mean, if, and if you let that run long enough, eventually a predator will move in and take advantage of that opportunity. And, you know, you can look at that in a few different ways, I think. And one of them is like keeping that population in check is arguably more beneficial to humans because if, if if that balance skews back the other way, you know, the, <laughs> the new predators are going to be looking for prey one way or the other. And yep. you know, we're, we're kind of protected from that in modern society, at least we assume. So like it gets, it gets really dicey. We assume so until somebody's out hiking and a, yeah. a lot mountain lion takes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden they're not nearly as cute. <laughs> What other, are there any other things out there, some misconceptions that, that uh, we hear about? I mean. Oh, there- yeah. One of my favorites is factory farm. I mean, that, that term is thrown around like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe how often I hear that term. And every person has a different connotation. For some people, me with 500 cows, I'm a factory farm. Uh, I do a great job. I take care of my animals. Um, I've been to farms that are six, 8,000 cows in one facility, and they do a phenomenal job. Um, the size of the farm means absolutely nothing. It always goes back to the people that are doing the farming. Uh, the large farms, they have specialized people that are able to just hone in on one area of the farm and so they do an exceptional job Um, and then you have small farmers that also do a great job so factory farming it's just a loaded term that i wish people would stop using you have you have great large farms and you have great small farms and you have everything in between but the vast majority of farms regardless of size are trying to do the right thing Hey folks, I have some exciting news to share. HPO Podcast wants to reward some of our regular listeners and supporters. So we have partnered up with some companies to offer a monthly raffle for all our Patreon and PayPal donors. It's simple. 
Donate as little as one US dollar per month to automatically enter. For every dollar you donate will qualify you for a raffle ticket. At the end of the month, the raffle will be drawn and winners announced. Ultra Footwear is going to be giving away a free pair of shoes for our US listeners. Ultra Footwear makes shoes that are shaped like feet, have balanced cushioning, and build their shoes specifically to the anatomy of male and female feet. They call it their fit for her system. So check them out at ultrarunning.com. That's ultra with an A, running.com. S Fuels provides a series of low carb, high fat endurance and lifestyle products that are designed with the help from World Ironman Age Group Champion, Dr. Dan Plews, six time Hawaii Ironman triathlete, Dave Scott, and now myself. You can check out some of their educational material at sfuelsgolonger.com and also my collaboration with sfuels at sfuelsgolonger.com forward slash Zach. Sean and Zach will also be raffling off a free 20-minute consult each with minimum two weeks notice. So head over to paypal.me forward slash HPOPod or patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast to support the show. Yeah, I, I've seen that. And in, in, again, when everybody, anybody tells me that term, I say, what do you mean specifically? And what animals are you talking about? Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, and I think probably cattle among domestic animals in my sort of maybe naive view seem to have it best compared to uh, maybe chicken you know, chickens. And, and, and I know there's some, when I've talked to ranchers, they don't want to see the quote unquote chickenization of beef. And I know beef is not quite dairy, but it, there's a similar sort of sentiment there. Do you have right. any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. I mean, I actually have friends that have some chicken barns down in California and, you know, farmers do things for a reason. And, you know, we do follow what people want. So a lot of people are putting their flocks back outside you know, pasture raised chickens and stuff. And a lot of the issues that they didn't have to deal with when they were inside in climate controlled areas, they're having to relearn how to deal with, um, you know, hawks love chicken, uh, eagles love chicken. All of a sudden they have birds of prey showing up and they're taking care of their flocks and all of a sudden you've got chickens that are disappearing to prey because they're a prey animal. Uh, so I understand why chickens and things, uh, animals of that variety have been raised in barns. And if you've ever been in those barns, they're very state of the art and really well run. So, so I, I, I just, anybody that's, raising animals uh, you know, there's thousands of years of experience and there's reasons why we do what we do. Um, we're just not very good at communicating why. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, we talk about fairing crates for pigs and, you know, all these types of things and why that's done. Um, what, is there something, I mean, if, do you, are people allowed to come visit your place? I mean, do you guys give tours? I mean, what's the deal on that? Uh, I, I am actually setting up tours with a tour company in Tillamook and I try and be accommodating during the summer, but we are, I mean, we eventually hopefully will be set up better to deal with tourism, but right now we are just focused on, uh, 
building new facilities, getting out of, because we're down in the floodplain. Uh, so we get a lot of rain and we flood every year. So when, once that's all done, I hopefully will be more geared towards tourism. But during the summer, I do try. And if people are in the area, if I can make it work I, and they give me notice, I can't have random people just showing up uh, is not something I'm capable of handling right now. But yes, I do. That was a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I try and accommodate people if they want to come see what a dairy farm looks like. Yeah, and we see, and you do a great job on your Instagram, which uh, was a TDF, no, uh, yeah, TDF, TDF Honest Farming. I'm what, also does TDF, on, what does a TDF stand for? Tillamook Dairy Farmer. Dairy Farmer, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you show you in there taking care of the cats. Obviously, you care about your animals. I mean, you're in there petting them, you know, talking to them, you know. Mm -hmm. And I assume that's probably not unique to you. No, that's pretty normal. I mean, farmers are farmers because they care about their animals and they care about the land. So, and that's, that's something that drives me crazy when people, you know, they'll make comments and they'll be like, I wish other farmers were like you. And I'm just like every farmer I know is just like me. They're just not dumb enough to do it on front of a camera and put it in front of thousands of people. <laughs> oh, no, I think it's great that you guys do that. Is there anything you'd want people to know about what you do? I mean, it, it may not, it may not be out there. I mean, you know, I wish people knew that, uh, in our country and most first world countries, the food systems that are in place are the safest they've ever been. You can go to your local f- supermarket and buy beef, buy dairy, buy produce, whatever way you want to eat. That food is as safe as it's ever been. There's no antibiotics in the meat. The animals were treated right. Just enjoy food, enjoy your life. Farmers are doing the best they've ever done for the land. I wish people understood that. But if they did, I wouldn't have to be online putting myself out there. So, Do you think the beef, well, I don't, I don't know if the dairy and the beef industry, I know there's the NCBA and the beef checkoff, and I don't know if you as a dairy farmer participate in that, but do you think they've let you guys down a little bit with, with the perceptions and the marketing and, what are your thoughts on that? So uh, we do participate in the beef checkoff and we do have a dairy checkoff and we have a lot of industry groups. Um, the checkoff programs have so many loopholes that they have to follow because they are regulated by the federal government that it's really hard for them to combat a lot of the stuff that's going on because they are they're kind of quasi government so they're really slow moving mechanisms i don't know that they've let us down and but i do think that they are evolving and trying to catch up with the times um my dairy checkoff has a um social media guy that actually helped me get started and has and is amazing and he does great work and has has probably done more for getting farmers like myself online than anybody I know of. Um, He doesn't get enough credit for what he does. So, and my local, so dairy checkoffs, they have local branches too. And my Oregon one is the Oregon Dairy and Nutrition Council, and they have been amazing to work with. 
I, I call them and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, what, what can we do to help? Um, and they have the resources and the studies. And, you know, when, when my daughter was born, I had a, an activist telling me that formula, if it was, came from cows, uh, was proven to increase the chances of SIDS. And I knew that couldn't be true, but you know, you got a brand new baby in the house and you just, it, so I was able to reach out and they're like, no, 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 here's, here's the study they're talking about. Here's where it's disproven. This is not a thing you don't have to worry about. And I, you know, so while I think the checkoffs could probably do better, I mean, they're doing the best they can. Where do you see Derek going in the next 10 years? You know, I, I think Derry is on poised to go into the next 10 years and it, with new technologies that are coming out. And uh, it's actually an exciting time to be in the dairy industry. New products um, and actually new technologies that allow cows to be just cows. They can milk themselves. Um, we've got robots that do all the feeding now. Uh, my neighbor put one of those in and it mixes the feed. It does everything. He controls it by his phone. Um, we've got technology now where we're making uh, power out of from the methane from cows. And it's just, we've got some growing pains coming our way. But when when we get through those, I think uh, we're going to see a completely different and vibrant industry. Yeah, Derek, uh, I've mentioned this on this show in the past, but back when I was in Wisconsin, I was a, a school teacher and one of my students at the time had a family dairy farm and they kind of came to a point where it was like, you know, I can't remember how many generations it was, it was like at least three or four. And uh, the, my student was basically asked by his dad at a young age, he's like, is this something you want to do for the rest of your life? Because he was at a point where he had to kind of decide if it was going to stay in the family or if he was going to sell off or stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, and uh, when he got the, when his son said, yeah, I want to do this, they started investing in some of that technology. And they were one of the, I think they were one of the, maybe the pioneer farms for trying out this, the, that similar to that technology you mentioned where mm -hmm. the cows just, they, they get milked when they want to get milked. Like they know. Yeah. So when they, and it's, it's not something they want to sit there and wait for, I guess the way it was described to me is like, if, if I have to go to the bathroom, I want to go to the bathroom. I don't want to have to wait two hours to go to the bathroom. Right. And that's kind of how that system works. When they need to be milked, they walk out of, into the parlor and then the, the machine comes in and milks them. And it also takes like all their, their biofeedback and sends it to them saying like, if this cow has anything that's irregular, it alerts them right away and they can kind of take care of any potential situations or cut off any negative potential situations before they have a chance to really get out of hand. Yeah, no, um, the technology is amazing. They, uh, they have ear tags now that do that. They, and I was just talking with my Zoetis rep, which is a drug, it used to be Pfizer. Um, they have a new program out that triangulates throughout the barn and it will pinpoint where the cow is at any cow at any point in the day where she's at. So you can actually see her movements throughout the whole day. Um, it, keeps track of their temperature. It keeps track of movement. It's, it's phenomenal. It is pretty cool. And I remember one of the things that uh, my students said that was one of the more interesting components was 
what they found out when they started collecting the data was that a lot of the cows preferred to get milked at around like one in the morning or something like that. So something that's almost unapproachable unless you have an operation that's big enough where you have like third shift workers coming in, mm-hmm. like, you know, those cows got to get milked when they wanted to at one versus, you know, waiting till the more traditional kind of early morning and then yeah. late afternoon, early evening cycle. Yep. What, what is, uh, you know, I mean, when, when we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, technology, do you see technology is going to improve the, I guess, cause people want to, they're worried about quality of life on these animals. And you know, people talk about, I want to make sure my animals were treated well, what things have happened over the last few decades to improve quality of life of, of these animals? And what do you see happening that may continue to do so? Well, I mean, you can start with when we started, uh, letting cows be more like cows, allow them to roam around in the barns. Like we, we have a freestall operation. My girls can go lay down when they want. They can go eat when they want. The only time that they're not able to do exactly what they want is when we're milking them. And that's 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night for a cow. Um, but with these newer systems, it's even even better and we're getting back to allowing cows to be cows um in the technology and we're you know learning more and more about their uh health i mean my my girls have their own nutritionist and uh they have their own veterinarians we had an early morning this morning Um, but yeah, cows, I mean, everything about cows is getting better for them from, I mean, my girls have water and not water beds, uh, mattresses. Some cows have water beds now. I mean, it's just, yeah. What's that little back scratcher device? You guys, I see oh, that. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, what's the deal on that? Uh, it's actually been proven that cows that, that use that back scratcher, uh, produce more milk. At least that's what the company that sold it to me said. Um, it's more of a hygiene thing. They like to just, you know, it's no different than a back scratcher for us. Um, and sometimes you get to watch a cow really work that brush over. I mean, it is amazing how proficient they are at getting to the spots that they want itched. Yeah, it looks fun. I mean, I saw one. I, I think I, you were, somebody commented, I want one of those for my house. You know, you can just go up there and yeah. you know, kind of get that big you, It is a little uh, abrasive, so I have to make sure I'm wearing a jacket when I, I, I use it. I mean, if I were to use it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it's not designed for humans, but I mean, there could be a human equivalent type of thing. Kind of yeah. In there. What's, uh, what's the thing that you like the most about being a dairy farmer? You know, it would be working with the cows. Uh, they are definitely the favorite, best part about being a dairy farmer. Um, they are gentle creatures. I mean, they are the mother of the human race now. I mean, from birth all the way up till death, most people are enjoying dairy. And um, I just enjoy cows. Yeah, it's pretty good. Zach, um, anything else? I think Derek, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been enlightening. Uh, if there's anything else you want to, you want to get in there. I mean, I know there's, 
I, I can't ask all the questions and I'm sure there's more we missed, but I mean, is there anything else you think that we should cover? Or oh, well, I think we covered quite a bit. I mean, I, I am on Facebook too. And that okay. actually, is, it is my biggest uh, social media presence. I'm at almost 300,000 followers on there. So what is an, what is the name on Facebook? It's, T, it's TDF Honest farming too. Okay. I'm, yeah, I really go on Facebook. I just kind of, it's a cess. It, it, Twitter's <laughs> Twitter's the biggest cesspool, but yeah, Facebook yeah, is, they're all problematic. Yeah, they're all yeah. kind of stuck to that stuff. So yeah, well, if we're not on there trying to get our message out, somebody else will get it out for us. And what what has been your? I guess I'll ask this because I'm I get this as a social media guy. What has been your sort of percentage of you know we hate you versus great job, keep doing what you're doing? You know, surprisingly, I think nine out of ten people appreciate what I'm doing. I mean, um, and I I'm trying to be better about not focusing on the negatives because when you do it just puts you in a bad place because you're focusing all your energy on these negative comments and stuff and you have all these great comments from people that are telling you that they appreciate what you're doing so it's all about being positive how about you because uh, you're <laughs> you're uh putting something out there that's pretty uh Polarizing. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, you know, I mean, for me, I mean, honestly, 98% of the traffic I get message I get are all good job or, right. you know, my life has gotten so much better since I listened to you. And, and that really, and I, and I get these tremendous, just life changing success stories. And then I get a little bit of, you know, the hatred from the, you know, the, oh yeah. The same, the same people that yeah. hate me, hate you. Right. Right. Cause I, I say it's okay to eat animal products and yeah then, you know, we get the people saying how dare you and dead flesh and all this kind of nonsense but yeah uh, so yeah i mean it's largely positive it largely is positive and sometimes i i, I kind of once in a while we'll delve into that and, and mess around mess around with it and make we mix, all do make, make fun of it but uh, i know like when joaquin phillips gave his academy award acceptance speech both you and i had some comments on that oh about, yeah you know, how, how ridiculous and, and really, I mean, the sad thing is, I mean, most of these guys, as you know, most people have commented, have never been to a, a, a you know, a, a, a ranch, a feedlot, a dairy, uh, any of these things. They just, they yeah. just comment on this stuff and they've never even seen it. Right. And, and then has the audacity of saying that we're out of touch with uh, nature or whatever he said. And it's like, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> You're eating a vegan diet, which is the most non nature natural diet on the planet but yeah yeah we're the ones out of touch interesting well good stuff well i mean so we've got the tdf honest farming at instagram and on facebook and then derek speaks to the cows or speaks with cows or to the cows. it's it's, a, it's at derek josie but yeah derek oh, okay. talks to cows or okay. something like that something like that on twitter yeah okay. well we will oh. definitely link that stuff to the show notes derek but yeah like sean said thank you so much for giving us some of your time and kind of walking us through a little bit about kind of the dairy industry and your operation as well as kind of some of the averages and things out there. I think it's a cool message to get out and it, it certainly kind of helps, helps people understand what's actually going on out there. Yeah. Okay. No, I appreciate uh, the chance to come on. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing on the rest of social media. You're doing a lot of people a favor and I, I certainly for one appreciate, you know, getting, you know, like I said, an honest perspective from an actual person that's doing the job. I think, you know, the fact that we kind of exclude farmers and ranchers from the conversation 
<laughs> is yeah. bizarre to me. Uh, and <laughs> me too. I think, yeah, yeah. I think you guys have the most stake in it and have the most knowledge. And I mean, it's not like you go into this stuff because you hate cows. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. No, I, I, I love everything about cows, including how they taste. So, exactly. you know, that, yeah. that upsets some people. I, and I'll be, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I, I, like I said, I try to do as much as I can. I thank you guys for doing what you're doing because it's a thankless task a lot of times and it's a lot of hard work and it's, you know, there's no one, you know, there's a lot easier ways to make money than, than doing this. You do it because you love it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.